Tanya Ban and Logan and Andrew, welcome to all of you. Tanya, you as our electorate, our loyal electorate candidate for Hamilton East, contacted me last week and said, I have a really interesting proposition, Liz, somebody who could be very good for New Zealanders to hear from. So tell us what piqued your interest and what Andrew had to tell you when he came to you. I think Andrew, as uh, most of people think, he's really open-minded um, and there's a lot of complimentary around that. I did read um, that Andrew has been given a hard time by the council that you work for because you were the only one that has actually got an open enough mind to understand the geopolitical nature of what's happening globally in New Zealand, Hamilton and globally. I actually initially rang Andrew to ask what can we do to sort some issues out with the council and what was the best way to address them? Um, because Andrew is a councillor and therefore um, who better to go and ask and being the sort of person that was approachable in an open-minded way was important to me. Brilliant summary. So Andrew, that leads us into you. And I know that you, Logan, Courtney, our wonderful deputy leader of Loyal, you're very interested in the geopolitical situation across the world. And I felt it would be great to have this discussion. So Andrew, how long have you been on the Hamilton City Council? Uh, just one year. Um, I uh, stood for council because uh, my background as an architect um, the bureaucracy has reached a point where um, it is simply too frustrating to continue as an architect and um, standing for council, I hope to be able to make some changes um, or at least slow down the rate at which things are getting worse. Um, so I, I uh, put my name forward. I'm not a politician and I like fixing things and uh, I have been dealing with councils for, with building consents and resource consents for uh, 30 years. So I've seen a lot of change. I've got some ideas as to what is what are the reasons behind these changes and what we can do to fix it if we get enough support. I want to delve into those, but Logan Courtney, isn't he a perfect fit for a loyal candidate? Doesn't want to be a politician. <laughs> wants to clean up the mess New Zealand is in. And Logan, just in terms of you heading up our new loyal um, st strategy committee in, in the loyal um, party ready for 2026, we really are, as one of our key strategy planks, looking at lo local councils and how they work, aren't we, Logan? Could you talk about that a bit? And maybe then we start to delve into what Andrew's been saying. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, local councils are, are, are quite important in the fact that they're the sort of coalface of not only our strategy, but also how New Zealand's run at the moment. I mean, obviously, the legislation comes down from the top, but councils are really the ones that enact the bureaucracy that either waylays or, or allows things to happen. And so, yeah, this is really important, A, that we have a, a council that's brave enough to speak up and actually talk about the issues. And then, and there are many. I mean, when, when you do talk about the building code, I mean, you have, you have people who are trying to regulate this that really don't actually understand what they're doing. It's just what you filled out on the piece of paper. And then when you start talking about, you know, A, B, C or D or E type um, 
areas or zones that you live in and that you're building in, then of course, when we start talking about piles and all that sort of stuff, yeah, it gets really complex. And a lot of the uh, a lot of the people coming and checking the paperwork don't actually understand this, and it's, it's quite an important thing. It's actually affected me as well, and I've tried to rebuild my house. So, no, this is really important. Logan, is it that thing we talked about across New Zealand for our farmers and for the way in which we just live our lives generally? Far too much regulation. Is that what it comes down to? Government interference it, in our lives. Yeah, government interference. I think that's actually the the, the the phrase that's accurate. I mean, when you talk to other architects slash engineers, they say, look, the building code was always there so that the average man could or woman could maintain their own home. And what's ended up happening is that there's been this huge industry that's been created about, oh, I can make some money for council and I can do all this thing. And it's become this real barrier to entry. And so what it's meant is you have to use a professional builder. And so as we've dumbed down the education system and we've made it where the practical schools are being ripped and also hidden out of schools, what it means is when you turn up and you, for in, in my case, you turn up to a Cert 3 building course, they say, no, 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 you're able to build a, a leaf, you know, you're able to build an entire door frame. We need you to actually go and get your entire qualification through RPR or recognised prior learning. Um, instead of, you know, me being able to just rip through the course, confirm all the skills that I need and then you sit there and go well okay well I'll just go rebuild a house then you start getting into the legislation and it becomes so in-depth especially when you look at the 2017-2018 earthquake amendments and when you're looking at houses and New Zealand has a lot of them that are from the 1800s from the 1900s especially when you get out into regional New Zealand and the problem that you've got is that when they start talking about bracing and that sort of thing first off it was always about two-story uh, properties or houses or commercial buildings. Well, if you're above 600 mil, you can't brace. It just It's just not there, as, as Andrew will, will clearly be able to tell you, even as an architect. But the engineers are pulling their hair, hair out, sitting next to you going, what are you guys asking this person to do? And not only that, the actual people writing the regulations, they don't build, especially when you get into DE-type um, bracing kits and all that sort of stuff. They don't actually build that. So it has to be custom-made. So unless you have a foundry that's next to you, you have to import it. And, of course, this goes on and on and on, not just with building, but with everything else that we do. Andrew, that, what's your reaction to hearing Logan summarise it like that? Accurate? Uh, he's got some good knowledge. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. What I'll begin with um, to just show how important this is and significant impact on people's lives is that the building industry has the highest suicide rate of any group in New Zealand. Uh, we've heard a lot about farmers, and I can really understand the pressure that farmers get put under, uh, but the building industry is worse. Good. Uh, we're not hearing much about that. And if you are, say, a plumber, and um, the building inspector fails your building inspection because they've just changed the way they interpret rules. And this happens regularly. Every consent we get surprises as to new interpretations. Uh, this can put enormous pressure on you uh, because you might have done the job properly. and uh, You are the expert as the plumber. You know more about it than the building inspector does. 
The building inspector is following rules that are written by somebody else. Um, he's not even on the site. And doesn't know the solution, doesn't care about this particular case, which might have something unusual about it. And, and uh, not only have you got your own costs of having to change work, but you've held up your mates who might be the electricians or the painters who come in next. And, and so the it is very much an attack on your self-worth. And, and, it does and on your wallet, edge. and on your wallet, I imagine. This yes. would put people yes. under huge financial pressure. Yes. So um, it, there's just too many horror stories. And um, this is a predictable, foreseeable outcome of what's happening. And I think we have to stop it. Now, trying to understand why we have moved in the over-regulation direction and I um, I spend a lot of time trying to get my head around this, and it's only when I discovered that the same things were happening overseas, uh, Canada, the United States, Britain, Australia, and that I could put the dots or connect the dots. And that is, um, we have the regulation coming at us from two directions. Um, we have a lot of activists in various areas uh, wanting, say, um, more insulation, for instance. And the Greens are pushing for more insulation, which is going to add a lot of extra construction costs when we've got affordable housing crisis. And I would have thought big architectural firms, big construction firms, um, big suppliers, who have the resources would be pushing back against this and saying, no, this isn't necessary. No, this is over the top. But the big companies have an advantage in actually promoting these regulations because the small companies um, end up having the extra overheads um, out of proportion to their size. So my background in business is one-man band um, and um, I'm having to do planning expertise um, engineering calculations everything um, fire design whereas the big companies will have specialist fire engineers and specialist planners and if they can make it so complicated that the small players can't operate in business anymore they win so we've got it um two extremes and uh, what I call convergence theories um, uh, which is a real conspiracy <laughs> conspiracy fact that the convergence of um, different interests using the same excuse for their own advantage and they push this through government much easier than um, sort of individuals or separate groups can and this drives a lot of change. I've seen it in the building industry, but um, once I understood that, I could see it everywhere. That's fascinating. I know I talked to somebody for our fishing policy that we put out, and he was saying exactly the same pattern. The few yes. big operators are pushing out all the small ones. So yes. this is this is happening in the building industry. Logan, what, what questions come up for you then? in terms of our loyal 
directions about how we can help? What What do you want to put to Andrew? Well, I think the first thing is, is you know, um, we need to bring this to light so that we can have a conversation about it. Because like Andrew's brought up, this is this whole, it's almost fascist. When you stop and look at it, that w- what we've got is we've got capitalist companies or so-called capitalist companies becoming these mega corporations which then take over the state which then promote their own business through legislation and regulation and then not only that they also tie up the hands of say mpi or WorkSafe or you know any of these these organizations and then these small organizations through the bureaucracy come and smash all the little guys because oh well you haven't complied and so i think realistically yeah i think what Andrew is saying is right, is that we have to be very careful because when you do look at global models, what they're trying to do is, yeah, follow the the Mao's communist China model of we are the the state, we own all of these things. So, yeah, I, I would just really, I would really like to see, first off, the accountability for this sort of thing, but I'd also like to... Um, I'd like the people to start pushing back at the local level and I would like them to start turning up to council meetings and saying, right, we want to have a conversation about this legislation. I want to be able to build my own house, which you can do, by the way. You go down to to the to council and you sign an affidavit that you haven't built another house within the last three years. This isn't a commercial venture and that this is, you know, this is my building that I'm going to build. And then council can issue your own building license. And all you have to do is comply with, obviously, the new MBS or the new building standards. And you can go from there. And they... When you actually get the document, it's a bit overwhelming because it's a little bit thick. Um, and so when you start reading through it, just remember you can do this. So if you've got basic skills, I mean, YouTube can help you. And obviously just going and doing a Cert three course, which is only a 10-week course, it'll give you basic carpentry skills so you'll be able to do that. So, yeah, I, I think yeah, what Andrew's pointing out is, is, a, is a big thing. But one other thing I'd like to point out too is you'll get – you'll get these council people or these building inspectors come out and like Andrew was saying, they'll be doing a plumbing job. My story is about um, a a fire, a flume in the fire. Now, just because one nut wasn't in the right place, they were like, oh, no, no, that that doesn't work. It did. It was perfectly fine. And like Andrew was saying, the expert was saying right there, no, this is how I've built them for the last five years. The other thing that's very insidious as well is that these people now start asking questions. Now, they're not allowed to do that. You're there for that specific permit, and that's it. But what they'll do is, oh, it looks like you've done a lot of work and all this. I think very, very quickly, you're like, oh, yeah, because I'm proud of my house and all of the work that I've done. Next, oh, have you got a permit for this? Have you got a permit for that? Have you got a permit for this? And it just blows up into this massive permit finance gathering system when councils are purely there to help people to to get ahead and, and to comply, not to try and get more money out of them. And so, yeah, I, I think this is something where people like Andrew are able to actually sit there and talk with the people from that area and say, right, enough's enough. What is the building standard? Because that's the other thing too, is there's different building standards. Even though we have the same building code, there's building standards for different in each area. Now, obviously, you have things like a higher risk of earthquakes or, you know, you live near somewhere that gets, say, um, Category 3 or Category 4 cyclones, but it shouldn't it shouldn't actually, you know, be that, that different um, or diverse. 
between each each group. So yeah, that's what we I feel we need to do. It needs a huge cleanup, and this is it's good to see how our loyal man is on top of it already, Tanya. Don't you think? I just want to come back to you, Tanya. What made you approach Andrew? What was it you wanted from him, and how did you connect with such a good and caring local council representative? Uh, so what happened was I've been working with Resident Ratepayers Association. Um, I've met Joe Ryder um, and we've done a little bit of, um, there, there's a lot of smart city stuff going on in Hamilton, quite quite advanced, I would say, more so, Andrew, than everywhere else in New Zealand. It's all happening, yeah. but Hamilton's yeah. been the first model and a lot of people have put in submissions and petitions. This is what I said to Andrew. Um, and it's getting stonewalled. Um, I also know of common law groups that have thrown in proclamations to the councils, which are nowhere to be seen. Everything is getting ignored and firewalled. It's there's nothing. And I out of when you said stonewall, Tanya, how does that play out? It's is like, it like everything's being ignored. Right to central the, government, we uh, hear nothing. Is it the same locally? The, the policy is ignore them. Oh. Is that right, Andrew? Yeah, just yeah. ignore everybody and they'll go away. So we're fighting really hard and putting in a lot of effort um, and trying to communicate. But these people in, in council, they've got absolutely no idea. And they're all budding up with the wrong people. Um, we had a meeting in Hamilton um, a while back and it was uh, the resident ratepayers put it on. It was a public meeting. Angela O'Leary was asked to attend um, she brought Mark Donovan, um, and the, um, when she it was about smart cities, uh, about 500 people arrived. I think she was a little bit taken back by that, so we were all, but we put it all out there because we had the opportunity to have a public meeting and ask questions of the council, which obviously everyone wanted, uh, hence the turnout. There and is Angela, is Angela the mayor? Is she deputy, the mayor? Deputy, deputy mayor. Right. And so she kind of flippantly walked out and said, oh, I've got a few notes here. I don't know much about smart cities, but, you know, I've made a few notes. She's had five weeks and she totally disrespected everyone by being so bloody flippant for a start. But there were people already agitated and there were also agitators there, which was really interesting. I wouldn't have thought that they would have been people that because we wanted answers but there seemed to be almost people planted there to agitate it was kind of strange because she left and they left which was really interesting because she ended up running off out of the building because she kind of got caught fair and square with a couple of um, people one lady said well you say you don't know much about smart city yet here we, is an article in the Waikato Times on such and such a date where you did an interview and you explained all about Smart City. So why can you not come and talk to us in an open forum in the meeting? Which kind of made her look like uh, uh, probably she would have been hopefully embarrassed. And then we had a man that decided that that was enough and he decided to hand her a Māori gentleman who decided to hand her some cease and desist order <laughs> and um, she went flying out the building with her hands in the air with Mark Donovan and tail. By this stage there was a lot of rumbling. You could feel an undercurrent in the room which was kind of freaking me out. Um, so I can understand perhaps why she left. She probably felt um, 
picked on, but she the way she approached it was inappropriate anyway. So Tanya, and when you say when you say agitators, what do you mean by that? And and the rumbling. Well, there that- were hecklers. There were definitely hecklers in the crowd, um, because she wasn't giving full and truthful answers. We knew that she was bouncing around the subject. She was avoiding things, and so people were getting annoyed. And, and that's I think the heckling started there. But then um, someone decided that he would throw in a cease and desist and she just ran out of the building mm-hmm. um and everyone was like there was a big rumble wasn't there and then Andrew and um actually Ryan Hamilton decided to stand up and save the day I'd say Andrew saved the day more so than Ryan he obviously I think had already got had plans happening for, um, for his future at the time so he was quiet but there he was there and Andrew thankfully answered a lot of questions um, about the truth of what's happening globally and and basically answered the questions honestly that we knew and he honestly set it out there in the public. And I think everyone really appreciated that. Thank you, Andrew. And that's why I think with talking to you, Liz, and at our Zoom and we're saying we need to deal with the councils, I thought, Liz, we just are hitting a brick wall. How do we deal with this? Mm. And you said, call Andrew. Brilliant. So, Andrew, that's a huge compliment at the moment in this New Zealand where we have such a lack of honest leaders. And let's hope that the the people coming in nationally realise that there is a rumbling across this country. People want something different, very different. But, Andrew, do you get into trouble for being so different from these other councillors who seem to be prepared to turn their backs on the people, the very people who've supposedly voted them in, do they have a go at you and try to say, "Don't be so open"? Uh, yes, that has happened. So in Hamilton, um, we do have a split. Um, there are a group of uh, myself and four other councillors um, who are trying to oppose a lot of the uh, smart city traffic agenda, um, but we get outvoted by uh, the the other side. Um, and uh, it will take um, new elections in a couple of years' time um, in order to be able to change that to get the numbers to actually sort things out. But I've been making connections with a number of other councillors in other regions, including Wellington, and Councillor Ray Chung there, <clears throat> um, who is in a similar position. There's a group of five down there that uh, keep getting into trouble for pretty much the same reasons. Um, the councils have a code of conduct policy, which gives the council quite a lot of power to restrict free speech. Good. Um, And uh, it is inconsistent with the Bill of Rights. Mm. Um, And this is deliberate. Um, So uh, um, there's... uh, Give us us an example, Andrew, in, in what way inconsistent? Tell us the, the part of yep. the Bill of Rights and how you, that gets overruled. Yeah. Um, so uh, probably the most important bit is that uh, you're not allowed to show disre- uh, disrespect to staff. 
So accusing or, or even suggesting that a staff member is not being wholly truthful um, is taken to be showing them disrespect. So uh, challenging staff um, can get me into trouble. Now, I thought that that was my role as a counsellor, would be to question staff, to double check, say, hang on, I actually have some expertise in this area, and that's not correct. Um, uh, right through to um, many instances of my um, career experience with uh, council staff, where they did tell outright lies. Um, this is extraordinary, and, yeah. Andrew. It's extraordinary because in the election, the loyal um, tour that I did, yeah. I was told by our far north candidate, actually Michael Fan, who had stood um, as mayor of Horofenua. He said that the local bureaucrats used to go off to, or the CEO of the bureaucrats in that area would have a CEO's meeting across the country and the mayors Correct. were not allowed. And then the CEO, the bureaucrat, would come back and tell the mayors in each centre what they were to do. It's flipped on its head. It should be the mayors and the councillors telling the bureaucrats what to do. Yes. And now we've got this complete inversion. So to put that into perspective too, uh, the typical council chief executive will earn three times as much as the mayor in their region. So that gives you an idea of the power balance. And, and uh, there's a very poor understanding in the public of um, what uh, council laws and mayors and councils actually do and how they relate to each other. Um, it, it would be nice to have civics classes where we're actually informed by this. And I had to do a lot of digging when I thought about standing for council. Um, so the councillors whom we elect um, are a separate organisation to the council that runs the city. Um, the councillors employ a single person who is the chief executive. The chief executive employs everyone else. Now, this setup means that the councillors can't actually control any other employee of the council. We can't go and fire them for incompetence or corruption. And, and the chief executive is typically on a five-year contract. So uh, we don't even control the chief executive because uh, over a three-year term as a councillor, uh, you might never get the chance to um, change the the. Um, chief executive's con contract or um, select a new chief executive. So the councillors actually have very little power. Um, we get to approve budgets and pass bylaws um, and we are allowed to ask questions. So we don't actually make the budgets. We can instruct staff to come back to us with a budget. And then essentially we are voting to accept or refuse the budget. And so, uh, and, and similarly with the bylaw, we don't get to write the bylaw. Um, the staff bring us um, a written bylaw and we get to 
vote yes or no. Um, and if it's a bylaw which um, you agree with 80% of it, and but there's 20% which is a bit dodgy, um, you're still going to tend to vote yes um, because you're wanting the main part of it. So um, there's a lot of scope for things that you disagree with as a councillor getting pushed through regardless. And when it comes to the staff and um, uh, um, dealing with staff as a member of the public, so if you've got a complaint about something, um, I have experienced the five Ds of bureaucracy many times. So um, you get delay, uh, dismissal, defer, um, defend, and uh, I'm just trying to remember what the last one is. Possibly defeat. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's just a bureaucratic morass. It's like a bureaucratic swamp where yes. unelected people uh, are just running amok, making rules for themselves. Logan, we've talked about the direction going forward, you and I as leader and deputy leader. What are we going to contribute? How are we going to make a difference as we move towards our 2026 goal of being able to be in national government and and your first thing was we need to work with all the people and their needs at local level but hearing andrew it's desperate there are a whole lot of faceless bureaucrats nationally and locally clearly aren't there logan well yeah and and, and something that uh andrew actually didn't bring up either was the fact that so this is a separation of powers so obviously they're the mm. crown and then you've got the pcbu or person conducting business or undertaking which sounds like a mouthful but under the workplace <laughs> at the workplace health and safety act 2015 um they're all officers so he's fully liable for anything that goes wrong so when we're talking in particularly smart cities when they start building the smart roads or they start implementing any of these smart buildings to be able to communicate with all these things, if you're, you know, if anything goes wrong, these guys are actually liable for that under Section 52. So, um, yeah, it's it's not it's not fun to be the councillor because, like you just said, I mean, they give you the information they want to give you. And I've, I've seen this many times where, oh, well, we want them to, to vote a certain way, so we'll give them a certain amount of information. So there's no other alternative but for them to vote that certain way. But then everyone is standing there at the council meetings going, oh, you did this and you did that. And it's like poor Andrew's sitting there going, well, wait a minute, no, I, I only agreed to 80% of this. I didn't agree to the whole thing. But they don't know that. And, of course, Councillors don't know this, and mayors don't know this coming in. Like if you're a new new councillor or um, regional uh, power, you don't know this going in. And if you did, I think a lot of people actually wouldn't stand. They'd be like, "Well, no, stuff that I'm not. I'm not being held accountable for something that I didn't really vote for, and that I I wasn't given all of the facts." Um, I mean, how how can you, especially when you look at the things that come from the you know the World Economic Forum, or it really comes from the UN that's then passed down through central government, in particular the smart roads, smart cities, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, another thing too is I don't think that they can really understand how much this is going to cost. I mean, my my brother his uh, his wife just had to replace the lidar and the radar section of her car. That cost eight thousand dollars. You know, so this is the thing that the people can't actually afford any of this stuff. And not only that, who's managing the service? Because the service at Dorstar, 
And this is something, obviously, that I, I started implementing in a um, health and safety management system in, at Gold Coast City Council. But, yeah, this is the thing that, that they don't understand. Also, the other thing is, too, is building these smart roads is actually quite a process. And the courts are starting, specifically in, in Australia, are starting to pick up to, okay, what's your repair plan? You know, And so now we, you really are starting to have to plan. And unfortunately, this, this all comes back to the councillors as well. I think we'll um I think we'll take this little by little for those who are now not familiar with the whole smart city language and concept. So Andrew, can you we'll we'll get to the smart city in a moment. Can mm. you tell me who is running the bureaucrats who are basically bullying and running all the elected representatives? It's who's who's behind them, do you think? Right. Uh the um, as you mentioned, with CEOs having uh, their own meetings, so across a particular region, uh, the chief executives will all get together um, and communicate. Um, this also happens at several other layers in the hierarchy of the council, and in particular um, professional groups within the council. So. Um, if you take council planners, for instance, um, the planners in Hamilton will be networked with planners across the country um, uh, who are connected to um, government planners who are networked with um, other governments across the world. So um, it is no surprise that the same things that are happening in um, England and say Oxford, for instance, spread very rapidly throughout the world and into New Zealand. Um, and we hear the same terms being used to describe things, um, for, for example, um, infrastructure acceleration fund. And I thought that would be a fairly unique term related to a particularly New Zealand solution, but it turns out Australia, um, all the, the states in Australia have exactly the same thing. Um, oh. And these are being used to fund a lot of these roading projects. So um, it does go back um, to the World Economic Forum, um, where there is interconnectedness of these groups, um, and uh, um, the conspiracy is real. And this is where we said we need to leave the World Economic Forum, we need to get out of the UN. So yes. there's a sort of cancer across the world via the bureaucrats, and then we have the tokenism of elected representatives. But yes. the bureaucrats behind you are trying to pull your strings. What is the punishment if you stand up and speak out honestly? If we did four or five weeks of this sort of discussion and you told us, the people, the real truth of what's going on, what would they do to try to give you a hard time for, for really representing and caring about the people, Andrew? Uh, they can, um, at the most extreme, they could exclude me from um, attending meetings and remove my voting rights. Oh. Um, now, uh, to a certain extent, if I'm expecting to lose the vote anyway, being outnumbered, um, that won't stop me. <laughs> really? you know, I, I'm still quite prepared to talk very openly about what I see and about uh, potential solutions um, and um, 
I don't care about re-election. Um, um, I'm happy to keep trying if I get re-elected. If I don't get re-elected, um, I've got a career that I can go back to. Um, so, and, and um, that career pays me $100,000 more than my council position. <laughs> so I'm taking a big hit to do what I'm doing. Um, and there's plenty of upside for me if uh, they try and squeeze me out of it. Um, but I am prepared to stand up on issues. What an absolute hero. Logan, I think, I think we need to invite Andrew to be one of our loyal local leaders and start to get a local loyal base and support and support that network, a good network. What do you feel, Logan? Oh, I totally agree. I think if if Andrew could be the shining light for other people to stand and we can start communicating with the public in every area or every region, then what we can do is, yes, yeah, start having some some loyal councillors and mayors and all that sort of thing that stand up that actually understand the issues and then can support Andrew. I mean, there's actually a lot of other things they can do. I mean, they could do all sorts of things from docs and so like releases personal information so that people can come and harangue and harass him. But also the other thing too is they can do really annoying things like just change the location and time of meetings and all that sort of thing so that Andrew can't, can't attend. And then what ends up happening is like Andrew just alluded to, well, I'll earn 100 grand more just going back to my job. I'll just do that. And then we lose Andrew. So what we need to do is, yeah, be able to come around Andrew and just support him as best like we can. And and like he said, we need to stop the hecklers from being in the, in the group so that we can have a debate. Because every time someone try and heckles, what happens? Oh, you're being disrespectful, I'm leaving. And it's like, no, 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 you need to stay and actually answer the questions. So I think, yeah, by really coming around and supporting Andrew, I think that would be a phenomenal idea. And on that, Andrew, you you know Tanya's number. Anytime they do give you a hard time, let Tanya know. And Tanya will just set up a meeting and discuss it until that level of bullying stops and Andrew can do his job. But could we move now before the solutions, because I would like to finish there, um, could we move into the smart cities? Just give us some idea of your understanding of what is going on with Hamilton as I read that a year or so ago. Hamilton will be the first smart city. And to me now, Andrew, smart means very dumb, a very stupid idea. So what is a smart city to you, Andrew, for those who don't know? Right. Uh, it, it's a great sounding term, which immediately, um, when I first heard it, conjured up the idea of just um, using more IT um, to improve service delivery. Um, now, an example of that could be having um, more cameras to manage traffic conditions. Um, but what we're looking at is um, the, the, the cameras being used to um, uh, manage parking and, and deliver fines to people. Um, so, uh, it's not actually in our best interests <laughs> in the way it is going to be implemented. Um, and it's spying. It's Look at China. They've got cameras everywhere. Facial yes. recognition, spying on people. If if you trans transgress by even jaywalking, I think there are fines in China. It's got the yes. potential to turn into, let's face it, a version of a very nasty police state if we don't yeah. watch it. And uh, it, it all sounds good. Um, 
like uh, having um, license plate recognition software, um, Hamilton has brought that in. Um, again, we are told it's to um, manage parking. And so I requested copies of um, the privacy policies, um, which are all in place and they all look good. Um, and it might currently be legitimate, but we're putting in place a system that could be used badly in the future. Mm. And uh, I simply don't have a level of trust that um, our governments are going to be good and honest going forward. Well said. Gosh, Tanya, I think we've got a future mayor of Hamilton that we're talking to right now, don't you, Tanya? I'd love to see Andrew as mayor. Um, yeah, I'd like to see um, us all get behind Andrew. And I know Andrew has been involved with other um, people. Uh, unfortunately, this uh, Joe bless her, Cotton Socks, is, um, she's very particular about who he, she has in her um, home. Um, and I have been once, but I wasn't invited back. So in a way, she's really narrowing her scope. I may um, just... Sorry, who's Joe? Just oh, remind I, us all. Joe. Um, she's not here. I can't really say her name, but Andrew and I have talked about her. I can talk to you about who Liz at another time. Is, but she has is she a, a counsellor? Is she a counsellor? No, she's um, a group, um, sort of a side group um, to, uh, to address the smart city issues. Mm. Um, and we did talk, didn't we, Andrew, about that um, she was making an impact. Her group was yeah. starting to kind of ruffle some feathers. Um, she's going to be building a website, which is going to show the stupidity of some of the smart city um, agendas. Mm. Um, we were out doing some um, sign holding in Rotatuna a couple of weeks ago, and there's a guy up a ladder putting six cameras up on one pole. Oh, this is six horrific. Cameras. I said, what? oh, what's that for? And he said, oh, it's just to monitor the traffic and check the flow. And I said, and toll people for when they drive too far or, you know, yeah, it's all same as in Tauranga is what they're doing there too. It's very sinister. What are the so-called smart roads, Andrew? Are you aware of what Logan mentioned earlier? Right. So uh, let's call I'll them dumb the roads. Let's not of... use their horrible name. Let's not use smart. <laughs> let's call them dumb roads. What are they? Yeah. I'll use an example of in-lane bus stops because mm. it's something that is highly visible and impacting Hamiltonians. Uh, and if it's starting here, it will definitely be rolled out into other cities. So uh, the uh, the goal is to stop people using the cars. Um, and when I've said that, I have been criticised for saying that. Um, but we have council reports where a um, a stated goal is a reduction in vehicle kilometres travelled, which can only be done by stopping people using their cars. Um, mm. So uh, I don't mind saying that, and um, I'm happy to have plenty of arguments with staff and management about um, whether I'm right or wrong on that, because I've got their own reports to back me up. Um, the, the purpose of an in-lane bus stop is to stop 
all the cows behind the bus um, so that uh, it is no faster to get into town um, in your own car than using the bus. So they hope that you will then stop using your car and start using the bus instead. Um, and this is done under the name of transport choices. And they will tell you that you, they are giving you the choice of using the bus, but they are, in fact, taking away your choice of using your car. And it is a very poor understanding of what people need and want, because if you look at your tradies driving the utes around, um, they are going across the city from job to job with their tools or having to um, go out to placemakers and buy some more timber. You can't do that on a bus. Um, your, your oldies wanting to go grocery shopping, you can't do that on a bus. So um, it is a very negative, very controlling thing. Um, and if they take away your freedom to use your car, they have got enormous control over you. And we've seen this in Oxford um, where they are trying to um, uh, limit your movements. And you know, that's that's a very bad sign for the future. It's so arrogant. It's it's never been consulted with the people about whether we really? want this. And thirdly, there's just a version of herding. It's like herding sheep, isn't it? Yeah. Herding us into something, and it's highly inefficient. So so let's take. There are other other very dark underlying issues with this from the World Economic Forum, which is all about herding us into Agenda 2030. People can look that up. Let's take some solutions. You said you do have ideas for solutions, Andrew. What are they? And secondly, I would right. like to take another issue with you next week, a geopolitical issue, with the four of us discussing that, break this into different weeks. But what mm. are your solutions here a, to the bureaucratic nightmare, and B, to the smart-slash-dumb city nightmare in New Zealand. Yeah. Firstly, um, we are having an effect. Um, so the, the general public have been complaining a lot to councillors, um, and while they are mostly being ignored, um, Mark Donovan, who was mentioned as coming along with Deputy Mayor Angela O'Leary, uh, Mark is another councillor. Um, this really opened his eyes to what's going on. Um, and uh, he is uh, really moved on board with, we've got to stop this. So he's right. a good guy. Um, he's woken up. Um, awesome. So there is some good news. Um, the there are a lot of small groups starting up um, with a variety of interests that, uh, again, shows people are seeing the danger and getting ready to take action. Um, Joe's group is a good example of that. Uh, they have chosen to have a narrow focus on... Um, smart cities and particularly on roads because that is again um, very visible and getting a lot of reaction from people 
Um, so uh, the big solution is to be able to get all of these groups working together. Um, and uh, that's where I see NZ Loyal um, as having uh, the biggest effect there. So we've got so many groups from Groundswell, Voices for Freedom, um, all related to opposing aspects of World Economic Forum policy, uh, but not necessarily being aware of the big picture and how it's affecting other people. Um, so bringing all these groups together um, under one umbrella um, and managing that um, it should be the direction for NZ Loyal. Um, changing councils, I think it is very good to target councils um, um, to build profile and presence so that we can then take it forward into uh, central government. So we've got two years to get ready with good candidates to get them on board in councils, because if we get the numbers, we can start to exert more control. And um, I am hoping that uh, the new National um, Act, New Zealand First Government, will have a serious review of local government. Um, Labour was doing a review, but it was um, completely missed the point, they were deliberately missed the point. Um, they had their public consultation over uh, December last year into middle of January this year, uh, which again was deliberate to actually avoid the public having much of a say at all. Mm. Uh, so if we can start to get some serious change in the way councils operate, uh, then that gives us a foothold to uh, take on um, central government and really um, work towards saving the country. And one of our platforms, Andrew, is when we do get in in 2026 is to get power back to good councils locally, to to decentralise as fast as possible. One central body, as we saw in the COVID response rollout, can so easily be corrupted by overseas forces. Now yeah. we find there's major corruption in local councils. So it really is, isn't it, Logan, starting at the ground up and getting the councils right. That's, that's a direction post-election that our group of wonderful, loyal candidates said, we need to find the right people to stand in the next local body elections. Logan, can you add some more views there? Yeah, so as as we we agreed before that, yeah, we need to not only get the councillors and the mayors and the deputies for each region, but we also need to dismiss the CEOs and also the COOs as well. So that's the chief executive officer and the chief operating officer as well. By doing so, what that means is we now have control of the actual organisation. We can go through and do a full audit. And what it means is that we're able to go through and where there is bureaucracy of waste and get rid of them, where there is, you know, overstepping of boundaries, making up laws, just going on the fly, then we get rid of those people. But the other thing, too, that, that could, we could see... Could I say there, Logan, where there is answering to overseas overlords without, yep. without any approval from the people, and let's face it, all the Kiwis we know who are loyalists do not want 
World Economic Forum and UN overlording us, the Kiwis. We want our sovereignty back. So we get rid of those people who are answering to offshore overlords. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So that, that's uh, the main thing. But just to, to reinforce what Andrew was saying before about the smart and the uh, cities and roads. Look, that, the lie that they actually told you, as you just saw, it's all about getting cameras and that sort of thing, but that's actually not what it's about. So first off, what it's supposed to be is that you're supposed to be going for first and last mile. So that's everything from your trams, your trains, uh, looking at heavy rail, fast rail, all this sort of stuff. It's about public transport of, of buses. It's about being able to manage the roads. And when you look in particular to the heavy vehicle national law, what it's supposed to be about is planning the route so that the brakes are being done properly unless you go fully autonomous. And when it, we're talking about autonomous vehicles, we're looking at everything from zero, which is your 1965 Mustang as an example, all the way up to level four, which is there's still a steering wheel in the car, but it's able to drive itself to level five autonomous vehicles where there's no steering wheel at all. So with the smart city, they're supposed to have the cameras so that you can platoon the vehicles and so you can manage speed when it starts raining or it starts snowing. They're supposed to be able to be a safety mechanism so that we can reduce the speed and increase the speed and all of that sort of thing. That's for the roads. When it comes to the buildings, we're able to manage the energy. So we know that when it's hot, we know that we need to start turning on a hydro station that could be anything up to you know a few thousand uh, kilometres away so that we can supply the right amount of power. The buildings are supposed to talk to each other so they can do that sort of thing, but also they can talk to the vehicles so that we know that there's more traffic coming from one area and also blind spots have now been missed. Now, we're using LIDAR, which is basically light radar, as well as radar as well. Now, so when you actually look at the entire thing, this was the promise that the roads were going to be built better, that the... Um, public transport was going to be faster, more efficient, all of these things. But as, as you've just heard from Andrew, and this is like we really have to sit on this for a minute, they're taking the cameras to be able to see how fast or how far you've gone. Um, whether you, you you know your rego is 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 valid, whether you you know you, you warrant a fitness is is valid. This is the stuff that they're doing. So it has none of the promise, and that's what I was saying. They can't actually afford all of this technology because once you do that, then we get into autonomous lawnmowers, we get into all of this other stuff, and all of your data from your car, your phone, which is all interconnected, turns into the Internet of Things. And this is what I was saying before. Who's managing the servers? Because all of your data is going to China, whether it be your vacuum cleaner, whether it be, and here's the other thing that we had at um, Gold Coast City Council, your refrigerator, if it doesn't, and the refrigerator companies have said this, we're not putting safety in, in place. So all of your stuff that's Bluetooth to your phone, your laptop, all that thing, when you go to order milk, it's captured all your data and it's sent it all over to China or it's sent it to Europe. This is the sort of thing that we need to watch out for. But again, we see that councils are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, can you really tell me that the mayor or any of the people in your area, I mean, even Andrew, I don't think he ran on a platform of I'm going to bring smart cities into Hamilton. I, 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 I honestly would, would, would challenge you to your face. You didn't run on that platform. And not only that, if, even if you did, I doubt seriously that people even understood what the hell you were talking about. Because you got to remember, we're talking about everything from drones. We're talking about no-fly zones for military areas. We're talking about all sorts of things. Like, this is so in-depth that you just it, – it literally took me a year when I was implementing this stuff to really learn. And it's all open source. So they've got engineers that all deal with each other on YouTube, and they're giving advice on how to build – um, bridges properly and all of this sort of stuff. So it's fully in depth that, and it's already out there. So yeah. It's... But Logan, <laughs> Logan, can I just ask? That's a huge amount of information you've given. But can yep. I just pull that in? 
Sure. Are you saying that that most of the people who are voted in have no idea what's going on? Certainly the people who are voting them have no idea. It's the few and it's coming from the top. Are you saying that all those ideas that are being sold, this will make a better life and everything will, you know, work so beautifully, it's it's never going to happen. These are just key no. promises. But the real thrust, just like the yeah. COVID response rollout, is we will gather more information to spy on the people, to manage the people, to control the people. Is that what's behind this, in your opinion? Well, well, that's part of it. But a lot of it is about making money because you've got to remember that once you create all of this debt, what do you do? You're with the local government funding agreement. And then what happens? Well, more money is going offshore through interest. So when you stop and look at all this stuff, it's not a conspiracy. They've really set this up. It's it's been it's been it's a magnificent program. Like it's evil, but when you look at it, it's truly magnificent. These people do know what they're doing. They are the masters of industry. They have figured all this out. So yes, it's about control. It's about I mean, they they say reducing your carbon footprint. I'm sorry, last time I checked, plants live off carbon dioxide and we live off the oxygen they produce. So what is this, killing humans or killing plants? Or what are we actually trying to do here? Because we have to be careful about the parts per million we have in our in our air. So you mean magnificently evil, magnificently manipulative. It is it is covert and secretive and it's got another agenda. Andrew, what are you what's your reaction when you hear Logan say this from his experiences in Australia? So there are a lot of people um who might have good intentions who are getting used through this this convergence theory. Um, they are misled. Um, uh, you, your school kids who get so emotional about uh, climate change, um, you know, they've been indoctrinated into um, uh, believing in something, but they have energy and um, uh, motivation to try and stand up and do what they think is right. It's just that what they think is right will um, destroy our civilization. And um, so uh, the uh, magnificently evil power um, that is manipulating the uh, teachers into indoctrinating the school children, the teachers uh, are good people, the school children are good people, they are getting used. And this is how the system is working. And, and uh, the uh, United States is looking at passing laws that all new cars will have kill switches. And so once you're all connected, uh, your, your self-drive car sounds wonderful um, until the government can switch it off whenever they want. So if we have that kind of government and I speak out and say I don't like this government, I can suddenly find my car is stopped from a central point. I can't drive anywhere. Yes, and we know that Nigel Farage had his bank account shut down. Mm. Um, this stuff is real and it is happening. And, um, you know, he, he said that, that almost ended things for him because it was also applied to family members as well. Um, and he, he did consider leaving England as a result um, because you, know, you, you can't survive without a bank account. Um, if they have the power to um, shut down your movement and you, 
turn off your own car, um, if every appliance in your house is also connected to the same internet, um, if the electricity suppliers are beholden to the government and have to follow instructions, um, you can have your whole life switched off if you're seen to be um, a disruptor. This is so communist China, isn't it, Tanya? Yeah. This is this is communism by any other name, but a very evil version of it. Coercion, capitulation. Mm. What I was this last year? Um, I got a letter from my insurance company, and it said there'd been a couple of changes, and one was um, about cleaning, deep planning. And I said, "What do you mean about that?" And they said, "We don't do deep planning around COVID nineteen anymore." And I said, "Oh, okay. So that's by the by. That's that was a year ago when people." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Oh, some people, you know, might have had someone who ended up with COVID in their car, and they wanted to have it cleaned up." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, right, okay." So that's and I said, oh, well, what's the other one? I said, that it talks about hacking, you know. Um, and he said, well, he said cars, electric cars at the moment, it, it can be hacked. And he said, therefore, we are not taking responsibility for that anymore. And I was like, really? So there you go. Yeah. He said it was about that. They already, they've already got. That's why I'm keeping my old dunger. It's in, it's just insane what is going on. Mm -hmm. I I had a message from uh, from somebody who'd written on Facebook that they were in Pack and Save and they spent over a thousand dollars. And this Pack and Stay Pack and Save staff member came up and said, "I need all your details if you spend over a thousand dollars." And she simply said, "I'm not giving you my details. That is absolutely not okay." And um, and asked, I think, to see the management. And then beyond that, of course, threatened to walk out without paying for anything, at which point it stopped. But her message was this. We must, all of us now, stand up and say no each time there is this overreach. Andrew, is that a final word tonight? What's your advice for people listening to this, feeling scared and worried and, and powerless when, in fact, we are the powerful ones we are many and they are few. Yes, it's, uh, we are the boiled frogs. <laughs> and um, sure. there are more and more of us um, standing up. So uh, five years ago, um, I felt pretty alone when I was looking at what was going on. Um, I no longer feel alone. There are a lot of people talking more openly about this um, and we've just got to harness their power work together and um, I think we will win um, but yes it is a a culture war we are fighting it I would love you to stand with loyal and as a loyal local council person and we could work side by side Logan don't you think that Andrew is, as you said, the sort of star example of what we're looking for strategically with Loyal? Absolutely, yeah. No, and 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 again, like Andrew was saying, we are all the boiled frogs. But here's the thing: let's stand up, let's get out of the boiling water, and let's tip the pot over and burn the people who are trying to cook us. 
So let's all stand. Let's get rid of the CEOs. Let's get rid of the COOs, and let's control the CFOs because they hold the purse strings too. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen them quite often waylay funds and all that sort of thing. So yeah, we need to be very careful about these these bureaucrats. Um, I mean, this is talked about in Hitler's beneficiaries um, that the bureaucrats were really because they were so well versed in every law, they were very capable of being able to change things instantaneously. And so this is what's going on, is they just waylay you until you get voted out because you're inefficient. So let's all stand together. Let's start getting some local candidates as mayors, deputies, and councillors. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. And, and Tanya, and let's meet again next week and do this again on another subject. Andrew, I salute you. You're exactly the kind of, of man we're looking for. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. I was just going to say, could you... Perhaps Andrew mentioned to some of the other councillors that you were talking about, maybe they might like to jump on board and then we can start yeah. making a plan. I'm just thinking, and if we can get the people, if we can get councillors on board with a plan, then maybe we can um, get something done about it and get the people behind you guys. Would that be a good idea? Yes, I really think we can grow this. I think it's worthwhile, definitely. So, Tanya, on that note, a final thought. Could you please give me contact details for Andrew? Um, if people want to get in touch, with whom do they get in touch? Is it you or is it with Andrew? And we'll put that up as the final note in this interview. Wonderful.